Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Teller County Sheriff's Office podcast for the week of February 2nd. This week, we're going to be talking about EMS services in the county, and we'll also throw in a little bit about mental health since that was a popular subject on one of our last podcasts. So I really want to thank uh, Eric Murray is here. He's with the uh, Southwest EMS. So thank you for coming in. And also we have uh, Chief Tim Dentz is here from the U-Pass Regional uh, EMS, correct? Yes. So, so correct. welcome. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> and uh, we have the sheriff too, right? Absolutely. <laughs> the sheriff is here. I see he didn't forget his coffee. <laughs> <laughs> nope. <laughs> These mornings get earlier and earlier. Yes, they do. Eric, I'll throw a question out to you real quick. How are you adjusting? You uh, just recently took over the agency from uh, Candy Shoemaker. Is that right? That's correct. Beginning of August, I took over for Candy, and Candy was in the position for about 27 years. Um, so I had some large shoes to fill for sure. Um, and it's been quite the learning curve, but um, learning new things every single day. Um, I've definitely had to bend Tim's ear here for some advice over, over the months. And I'll, I'll continue to do that. But um, it, it's been a very good experience and, and nice new challenges. But you did work with Candy for years. Yeah, um, 25 years. I was going to say, wow. you've been there a long time. I remember that. Right. So good, good. So is he blowing your phone up or what, Tim? Pardon me? Is he blowing your phone up or what? Is he- <laughs> <laughs> no, didn't blow the phone up. So you guys collaborate quite a bit, you know. We do, definitely. We do. We do a lot of mutual aid for each other, cover each other's areas when the other's busy. So a lot of mutual aid. We'll go up and stand by right around the tunnel if they're busy and all their units are out. Sometimes we'll go all the way to Cripple Creek, depending on uh, the circumstances. So and yeah. we, we do the same for them and, you know, when they're down. Eric, you, you recently took over this agency, and, and although you've been working there for a long time, are you, are you seeing any challenges that you're having to work through right now? Uh, you know, there's always challenges. Just trying to change some systems, make things more digital instead of files paper. and paper, and just trying to bring things a little more current. That's definitely been a challenge. I'm an accountant. I'm the HR specialist. I'm the payroll specialist. Um, I, I kind of do a little bit of everything right now. So do you mostly train in the winter time because like next weekend we got the ice festival coming up. Once that starts, it's just the kickoff to every weekend, event after event. So Absolutely. is that when you do your training is in the winter time? Um, well, not necessarily. It's it's in the week during the weekdays. Oh, I see. Where our busiest time period is typically the weekends. Okay. I say that although Tuesday tends to be our busiest day as far as running calls on a normal week. Oh. Believe it or not. Is wow. it Tuesday? Tuesdays. Huh. That's interesting. I don't know why. We staff, you know, sometimes we'll staff heavier for the weekends, and then Tuesday's our busiest day. Wow. And are you guys fully up to staff now, or do you? Um, uh, we, somebody? all of our full timers, we're, we're fully staffed, and we're looking for one more part time paramedic. Okay. Eric, what kind of folks do you have working for you down there in Cripple Creek? Um, we have people who, for the most part, are very, very experienced. I mean, the years of experience, much more than what I have. Some of them have been certified since the 80s. We have a few who are a little bit newer as far as, you know, maybe less than five years of experience for part-timers. But as far as our full-time staff, very, very experienced paramedics who used to work in the big cities and um, just realized how much nicer it is in a system like we have or, or like what Tim has. Good people, though, good hearts, want to help people, want to do the right thing. Um, you were very fortunate with the staff that we have. Are you full staffed right now? Uh, we are, except for us looking for one part-time paramedic. There you go, folks. So if you know of anybody, um, send them up our way. It's a, it's a great place to work. And where can they go to get information on that? 
probably the easiest thing is to either email myself or, or call me. My email is director at swtcems.org. Or um, they can give me a call on my cell phone, 719-464-7561. And my name is Eric Murray. And I see Tommy, our producer, scribbling furiously over there, so I know he'll get that in the description for the podcast. Tim, how about you? Are you full staff right now? You looking for anybody? We have been lucky to have some of the best paramedics and EMTs um, up here that we can have. When you think about what we do and where we do it, you know, we kind of, laugh. It's kind of, with the deputies up here and the uh, police officers in Woodland are kind of the same way. I mean, rain or shine or seed or snow, the ambulance must get through. And what they do, they have to do it proficiently, efficiently, and at the lowest cost as possible as well. We've been able to attract good medics. Some of our medics, just like uh, Eric's, have been around since before 2000, going back into the early 90s. We have attracted some younger medics as well with some good experience. Our older medics are able to mentor some of our younger medics as well, so that even the ones with less experience are turning out to be superior medics. Our EMTs are phenomenal. Our basic medics are, are phenomenal. With adding the third ambulance, we've got a couple of folks out on workers' comp injuries. Many of you are aware of Isla Brown, recently diagnosed with uh, a brain tumor. So she is unable to work at the moment. So. We just hired, I think, three more medics, so we're still down two. But yeah, some of the best medics. We've got uh, outstanding protocols. Uh, Got to put a shout out to um, Eric's and our medical director, Dr. Jeremy DeWall, is uh, very involved. And UC Health, I got to put a plug in for them as well on this, that uh, UC Health is providing the funding and the hours for Dr. DeWall to be very involved in protocol development, um, quality assurance, QA, QI. Training. Um, I mean, we are very lucky up here that we have the type of medics that we have because they could be out in the middle of nowhere by themselves, and they have to do what they have to do. They have to make decisions. They have to make decisions. Well, it's like law enforcement as well. Your officers have to make decisions that we can armchair quarterback for months, years, afterwards but you have to have people up here that will make those decisions and treat the patients and we've been lucky those decisions have been good we've had the great support through our medical direction and our hospital even even with Centura we've got we've had a lot of support definitely I think it's kind of funny um, I think it's worth asking Eric how he got into this business yes um, Tim here actually. <laughs> hit me up and told me I should join the volunteer fire department in Cripple Creek back in 1983. He hit me up, I don't know, several weeks in a row. So finally it's like, all right, let me come down and try this out. So I joined the fire department there in Cripple Creek when it was all volunteers back then, not paid. So Tim kind of got me into the business. For free. Oh, yeah. For free. Way to, way, <laughs> to go. way to go. And, of course, you have the new uh, fire chief up there in uh, Cripple Creek, Dean. Absolutely. Great guy, great guy. So you guys have a pretty good relationship up there. Being We in do. This, yeah. Very close. I mean, and the, the city's very gracious to give us a free place to stay. So they give us free room and board um, just great. just because it's, it's a lot cheaper than them paying for an EMS service. Um, but it's, it's wonderful for us. And, you know, we collaborate with the fire department. You know, we train together, um, live together. It, it's a very good relationship. It seems like we've been up there a couple of times and had lunch, and I think you guys really have a great relationship. 
Um, and, and I'm always impressed that, you know, everybody knows how to cook up there. That's so awesome. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's very unlike at the Sheriff's Department. You know? <laughs> <laughs> donuts, a, donuts and coffee. <laughs> it, it's, it's a nice station. But, you know, they're, they're living together for 24 hours at a time, at least, sometimes longer. So, yeah, you get to know each other very, very well. And speaking of facilities, uh, Chief, you have a new facility. We do. And it was interesting because we kind of stumbled upon the place. And we call it Almost Perfect. <laughs> um, perfect would have been if it was a little bit larger, a little bit longer, a little bit taller maybe. But we're talking about taxpayer dollars here. We were looking for leased space actually at the time because uh, we were out of space. We did not have a training room of our own. So training was always complicated. But, uh, yeah, we picked that up for uh, saved the taxpayers an awful lot of money on that facility. So we no longer have ambulances sitting outside. Um, so, God, that was probably, when you consider an ambulance, is about $260,000 a pop, and that's without anything in it. Um, all those two to three of those sitting outside in the weather, yeah, that saves the taxpayers quite a bit of money. So That's great. Mm-hmm. That's great. And, and I don't know if a lot of people know of your new location, um, I try to think of what that place was. Was it Grease Monkey? You know, I think it was originally built as a uh, service station. The previous tenant was Snow Performance. I oh, think okay. uh, Mike Snow, mm-hmm. I think that was his name, was in there. He uh, constructed or built high-tech diesel computer systems to make diesel engines run more e- efficiently. But he was selling out his business, and I guess the commercial real estate in Woodland Park is still challenged, so... That's where we were actually able to pick up on that building and didn't have to build, didn't have to find land, didn't have to do all the utilities running those in, didn't have to do the architecture for planning the building. So, yeah, almost perfect is perfect for us and perfect, I think, for the district residents and taxpayers. No, I think it's great. And I think you're in a good location. Uh, the easy in, easy out, that's, that's perfect. And you did say you have a training room up there, correct? We do. We oh, do. Okay. Um, it's not the largest training room. It's perfect for us. Um, we are starting to host other groups in our training room, um, some mental health uh, support, medication assistance to treatment. They come up once every other week mm-hmm. to support our program, our mental health assistance program, and to support um, local residents with substance abuse issues. We also offer some peer support programs for the school through our facility there. And uh, we'll be doing some CPR, first aid classes. It'll still be a little challenging for folks that may want to use it at night because it's not staffed 24-7. Right. So there could be some challenges there. But, uh, yeah, it could be used, utilized for community meetings and groups. To, That's to great because I do know a lot of groups that are always looking for a room just to hold a, you know, their, their board meeting or just a little community mm-hmm. uh, meeting. And uh, especially for the training, because I know the Stop the Bleed, the CPR classes, um, all of those have just been really taking off uh, this past six months. So good for you guys. That's great. Well, one of the things, too, is that if anybody needs mannequins, Teller El Paso E911 Authority just donated a bunch of CPR mannequins. We got them coming out of our ears now. So oh, wow. It was like 50 of them, wasn't <laughs> so, it? There's a yeah, ton of them. Yeah, there was quite them. a few. So if... Uh, Anybody else in the so county, Eric, needs some CPR <laughs> mannequins? Uh, I'd love to share we're pretty, them with you. Pretty good right now, thanks. <laughs> Actually, we could. Um, we've yeah. been borrowing um, yes. mannequins, and I think uh, yeah. we, we've been doing those classes. How often? We're doing them once a month. Uh, this year, we're doing uh, CPR classes, and uh, Randy Ford, who I'm sure you both know, yep. he's been doing them for us, and so we have to find alternate places. And so right now, we're doing them at Divide Fire. 
and he's having one a month. And so we've been having about 12 to 15 people per class. So it's really turned out great. That's awesome. Yeah, we're really excited about it. So, And people say, well, are you going to have one in Cripple Creek? And it's like, well, we might have to move them around or, you know, get them hooked up with someone else yeah. that's doing a class. So I think it's great. Absolutely. Tim, what's the uh, medication assistance program? The medication assistance to treatment program is uh, we have a group out of Colorado Springs that comes up um, to assist patients who have substance abuse issues in prescription medicines to help them get off. So it offers both counseling services for them, counseling support services, and it also provides them with some medications, prescription medications to help them beat their addictions, their individual, whether it's alcohol or other substance abuse, that's that's what that program does. Which is, that's a great program because we've seen a rise in the jail now, just uh, it's crazy the amount of people that are coming off of different types of drugs, both prescription and non-prescription, to where we're, I bet you we're four times as many as we had a year ago. Wow. Um, that's all we're dealing with right now. Well, and here's a plug for our program then. Um, we can use you as a referral as well. Oh. So you can refer some of those patients to the program. They come up every other week. Theoretically, the state is going to be funding a, it's almost like a motorhome that's set up specifically for um, patients come in um, so they get the intake, if you will. They have uh, counseling rooms in this. They don't have it yet, but supposedly it's going to be coming up. They're going to get it within the next three or four months. And uh, exam rooms as well and we plan on using our facility as the place where they'll come and park it um, and then do the coordination of the patients coming through at our facility some of the other stuff that our uh, mental health assistance program does is if there's a patient that has problems getting to their appointments um, our MAP program will go out and get these people and bring them into their appointment and then take them back home. Wow, that's a great community. Huge benefit. And is there a fee involved? Uh, my, not from us at the moment. Um, the mental health assistance program is going to be partially funded through them for the transportation part. So they're going to they're going to fund some of that. But to the best of my knowledge, there is no no uh, charges for that program. You know, Eric was just talking about Tuesdays being their busiest day. Are you guys busy this year? We are. Last year was our busiest year ever. Uh, we ran about uh, 3,112 calls, um, transported about 1,700 patients. Of that 1,700, though, one of the things we're really proud about, 200 of those were transported by our mental health assistance program, the alternative uh, to transporting patients in high-cost ambulances. So that was through our MAP program. Um, that I think last month you talked to James and we he did. told you a little bit about the program. And um, it is about finding less obtrusive ways, if you will, of engaging these patients and getting them to the care they need right away, avoiding ERs, avoiding the costs. Uh, we've probably, God, I was just looking at it, saved last year alone about $200,000 worth of uh, ambulance costs. So it costs about half of what it costs to take a patient via an ambulance. So that's huge. And for us, we can't afford to develop a MAP program. We, we just don't have the funds to support that. But when we get a, a MAP-type patient, um, we actually call them and we'll meet up typically at your at your old location and, and drop off the patient. So basically, we do a courtesy 
transport because we don't get paid for it um, and, and meet up with a map unit and let them take them to the appropriate destination as opposed to us taking them to emergency room, which doesn't really help the patient whatsoever. And I know for us, we, we call a lot yeah. on that program. James came out, I don't know how many times and assisted us with folks. And uh, he's, he was in here two weeks ago and what a great, great person you have for that program. You know, you just couldn't ask for a better person. Oh, I agree. Lots of energy. And it's, uh, we, had a, we had a lot of uh, support for that podcast also, didn't we, Tommy? I think that was a pre. Yeah, we had a lot of listenership on that. Yeah, so that was a that was a good piece for the community to hear. Yeah, you don't realize how big uh, mental health issues are in our county. Um, it seems to be, and for a lot of people, it's in the background. A lot of people don't realize it, but um, yeah. Well, well, they don't talk about it. It's when they don't talk about it. Right. And so I think that's the big thing is that letting people know it's okay to talk about it and making them feel better. Um, one of the things we talked about with James is sometimes, uh, even with our young kids as well as our, our seniors, um, they just want somebody to talk to, to listen, because a lot of times they don't know that they're having a problem or they think that that's, you know, supposed to happen or they just need someone to talk right. to. Well, and I right. think for us, too, it's, it's cut down on our return trips. Because mm-hmm. we had, you know, I remember being a young deputy. I worked with both of you as a young deputy. So 24 <laughs> years ago, we, we were, were all of us were yeah. you know, the young ones. Um, and, and it's funny. I, I remember you know, we would go back to a house four and five times. Uh-huh. And about the only time we would call you is when we needed Halidol to calm somebody down enough to get them transported somewhere. You know, those days have changed. Yes, they have. Now we want to get them the support they need. We're trying to get these programs in place, and uh, these programs, these types of programs, are so beneficial for the community because mm-hmm. it cuts down on how many times my deputies go back, cuts down on the violence when they go back because now they're being seen as uh, they're respected, they're cared for. What a huge difference to what it was many years ago. We used to be reactive. Yeah, very we reactive. We yep. took care of that one situation and just wanted that to, to be resolved, mm-hmm. not address the actual root problems and, and get them the help that they need. And I, I find it interesting, you know, we, we've seen such a huge change in the county in the last 20 years from where and where things were when we were, you know, young officers or operators doing these things. This county has changed so drastically um, and, and it's been an impact on all of us. Fortunately for the county, we all work very well together because we've had 24 years worth of working together. Right. Yeah. Um, that's that's not seen in most counties or areas. No. It is not actually uh, between our law enforcement agencies. Um, our EMS agencies and our fire agencies, um, the cooperation that we have even across county lines when you talk about uh, what we do with Green Mountain Falls uh, and even Lake George Fire, Southern Park County Fire, it's it's a system that is not seen in a lot of a lot of other areas. Yep, no, I would agree. Uh, and what a, what a great community benefit it is too. It's funny, I go to different areas and you get fire departments that won't even talk to ambulance Absolutely. Uh, groups. You get police that don't want to talk to any of them. <laughs> um, and I think up here, we were, for so many years, we were dependent upon each other for everything. Mm-hmm. You know, because you've transported more deputies, and I think I've even been transported a couple times. <laughs> so it's uh, um, there, there's that constant, you know, benefit of having those relationships. I agree. I'll throw this out to either one of you. Who wants to talk about the community paramedic program, or who can who can talk about that? So the community paramedic program. What's changing out there is I had referenced earlier about EMS is was always about and it still kind of is 
always about taking patients via the most expensive means, an ambulance, to the most expensive place, a hospital emergency room. And when you think of the payer source, especially Medicare and Medicaid, um, we're not a healthcare benefit to most patients. We're a transport benefit uh, to most patients. Therefore, we don't get paid unless we transport a patient to an ER. Well, what's changing now um, is even Medicare is starting to see there could be some benefits to providing some inducements, if you will, or some payments uh, for treating patients at their location and referring them to other levels of care, referring them to their private physician, referring them to an emergency department or to an urgent care center. There's this uh, program called ET3 that uh, Medicare is promoting. And we did put in to be one of the pilot programs for this ET3 program. And so it's looking for alternative means of transport, which we already have a model for the mental health program, to alternative destinations. So we could be transporting patients and being paid for it as well to physicians' offices, um, to ur the urgent care centers, to emergency departments. And by doing this, we'll keep the ambulances up here for ambulance calls. There's going to be some opportunities for telehealth where we can engage medical providers with patients on scene using community paramedics to do that. So we can put the ambulances back in service, get the community paramedics up there to engage with these patients. And through this process, we might be able to get their scripts, get initial treatment done, um, get them referred at a much, much lower cost. Um, we'll see how it evolves, because even the payers, when you're thinking of other than Medicare and Medicaid, like Anthem Blue Cross Blue Shield, United Healthcare, Kaiser, um, they're looking for value as well. And paying ambulance bills and ER bills is not the most popular thing to do, even from a payer perspective. So um, they're looking at payment for these services as well. We just participated in two meetings with Anthem Blue Cross. They're probably the leader in the local area at finding payment mechanisms for these services. Um, even with our uh, community paramedic program, we'd like to see that expand to where we're engaging these patients for, oh, let's just say high acuity patients from the hospital, respiratory cases, congestive heart failure patients, post orthooperative patients in following up with them um, to reduce readmits. That's a huge problem, readmitting to the hospital where hospitals get even penalized. And of course, the patient doesn't do well either when they have to be readmitted. Um, and doing simple things like they do they understand their discharge instructions? Have they followed up with their physicians for follow-up appointments? Uh, did they get all of their prescriptions filled? Um, so it's, it's not like rocket science that these, these medics will be doing, but it'll be simple follow-up with them. And so we're hoping that this program will help lead to a healthier um, community as well, especially for our elderly, because you know we're not, you know, even when I look around the room with everybody in this room here, especially the, you know, that old man sheriff <laughs> that's uh, sitting here, um, our community is getting older. And so we have to start thinking about alternative ways of providing services and care at a lower cost for them as well. Other than just taking them to the hospital, right. taking them in an ambulance, um, but we also have to make certain that there's a funding source for that. So uh, we are working both at developing the program and looking for a funding source as well. Since we're on the subject of costs, Eric, do you want to talk about, are your costs for the industry that you're in rising? 
Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, they're rising at a, a very rapid level. Everything's going up. Without our gaming impact funds that we've been fortunate enough to receive most years, um, and our our tax base that we get, I mean, there's no way we would we'd be able to survive because we just don't have uh, enough money from collections from transporting people to the hospital sure. to, to survive. I think all of our costs for public service is just going through the roof. People mm-hmm. don't realize, you know, a service-based programs are expensive. Um, and as a community grows, those service-based programs become more expensive. Because you're, 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 you're twice the travel, twice the the equipment twice of probably prescriptions you know all those things go through the roof and that's that's where in the last year we've had those struggles with you know it's not the same as we used to be no you know things have changed you're outside of 800,000 people this county's grown so all those costs start to go up and with the rise of health care costs and just some of the you know, kind of the baloney that goes on in state governments and federal governments on on requirements and needs that's causing the taxpayers to have to pay more money and it's not us as law enforcement or ambulance or fire that that caused that, but we're seen as the cause of it sometimes when really we're just trying to keep up with the flood. Uh, and, and I think that's the hardest part is, is to explain that to people. Hey, you know, you, you, you've got to stand up and say, we don't want these costs anymore. There's other ways. These, these guys need to be funded. It'd be interesting even to hear from you guys from a sheriff's office standpoint. There is a paramedic shortage out there. Part of the paramedic shortage is because it's been plagued for so long at low wages, poor benefits, that people just aren't going to paramedic school mm-hmm. anymore. Uh, and for services like Eric's and mine, the competition for those medics is growing immensely. Um, we're having to have to pay more to even recruit them uh, to come up here and stay up here, um, especially when you're competing when you're so close to competing with all the fire departments down in the Colorado Springs metro area. You know, medics are routinely commuting from places like Colorado Springs to work in Denver. With the high cost of living up here, even our medics, most of them don't live here. Uh, More and more are trying to, but um, yeah, most of them commute up here or commute Mm -hmm. to Cripple Creek. And I think that would be really, it's easier probably for us in Woodland than it is for you in Cripple Creek. Definitely. Uh, because that's that's a long commute. It is. Every single shift to come to work and then go back home and then there's meetings and there's case reviews and there's trainings and there's- Absolutely. Yeah, you're exactly right. We do, as all the agencies up here do compete with the front range agencies. And we've seen it and that's one of the reasons we, we had an increase for pay for deputies this year is um, we had to point out and educate people as to the fact of Hey, a deputy couldn't even afford to live in the Springs anymore. So we had deputies that were living out by Peyton and Falcon, and even that was becoming too expensive. So I had one deputy that left, and uh, he he, uh, went to work for 7-Eleven near Falcon because he goes, by the time I drive all the way up there, by the time I do these things, I can't live. And why should I, and and not being mean, but he said, why should I support people that don't support us? Mm -hmm. Um, And and I think that's where things are going to get to, especially for all of our career fields. Um, there, there's a cost to doing business, and especially for you guys. How do you find good employees? And what happens to us as managers is that you start pulling your hair out because you're going, I can't get across to anyone the issue of I, I can't afford to have anybody up here and nobody will go to work for us. And it falls on deaf ears sometimes. You know, this year we, we 
we brought a plan to the commissioners. They looked at it and they agreed with us. It said, yes, there's a big issue here. Mm-hmm. And even where we've gone to now, uh, we went up 21%. We were in the lowest 15% in the nation for pay. Probably the same as you're at. You know, we're in a county where people say, well, if they don't want to work here, they don't. Well, the problem is then you can have anybody work here. Right. And we can't continue to afford to just have people work double because we're not able to pay them. So all those issues are coming into play. I think at some point, even for us, we're still going to have to look at that tax raise to even do these things. We're, we're not going to be able to keep up. We can keep up to a degree. But if you ever want to grow, you ever want services to get better because services can't get worse. If I have reduced services, then you have an issue with people not getting the services they believe they need and they're paying taxes for. Yet, on the other hand, how do we pay for those services? So you can't reduce services that just it will not fly and it shouldn't fly. You know, I I think that this county does a really good job, and that's all of us in the county, not just the county, but uh, at working hard and striving to make sure they get the best services possible to people and we go above and beyond. Uh, but how do you drag everybody behind you that work for you to do above and beyond Yep. without compensating them at some degree to where they, at least they can live in their community? And if we don't have people living in the community, we don't have the resources we need when something happens. Definitely. So there's a lot of issues, and it's something we struggled with. And we actually put it in the strategic plan as to these issues because it's in the next 10 years, I see a huge problem for all of us because there is no housing. Well, as a service, we still owe a great uh, debt of gratitude to the taxpayers within our district. Absolutely. Uh, as you remember, two years ago, um, we aggressively went out and educated the community for our half-cent sales tax. Um, that has been huge in helping us to continue and grow our services to the community needs to where we do we do now have three ambulances available 24-7, but we still continue to see our payer mix worsen. We're now 78% Medicare, Medicaid, and the uninsured. When you once again consider that every time that ambulance goes out the door, because what's a little bit different between Eric's service and, and our service is everything that we consume as you pass Regional Health Service District, we have to pay for that's utilities, that's the buildings, that's the internet. I mean, even when you, when you consider little things like the internet, the water bill, the insurance to the facilities, the fuel and the ambulances, we have to pay for that. You don't get discounts on that kind of stuff. Um, when it's costing us $1,700 every time that ambulance goes out the door and your primary payers, which are Medicare and Medicaid, the highest payment you can get out of Medicare is about $470. And Medicaid is about 175. Something has to make up that difference. It's either cuts in service, having less qualified providers, cutting services, um, or asking for community help, and community support. We're very proud that our community did step up for us uh, with our half cent sales tax. That that made the difference. And unfortunately, we have very smart voters in this county. And when you start to explain what the real issues are, it's not just a tax issue. It's an understanding of you want good care. These are things that are needed. And I think that's what helped you was Mm -hmm. just good uh, voters that really understood the issues. So I I went to a couple of meetings with you and people were adamant you needed more money, Mm -hmm. you know, and and I think that's a good thing. We're very fortunate up here. Now, I was going to ask you, is there an urgent care up here in Teller County? 
No. There's okay. I know yeah. there used to be. Right. It had closed down. Okay. And I, you know, and that's one of the sad parts. So even a doctor's office up here, we, we don't have a lot of those anymore. We don't have that infrastructure we used to. No. So, Tim, I hope this paramedic program works out good because yeah. I tell you what, it's expensive to try to go somewhere in the springs because they'll shift you from one to another buddy that's they're not in network. I just went through this with my son on a knee injury. Um, and by the time it was done, that thing cost me three times what it should have cost me because they wouldn't, someone wouldn't accept insurances. Whereas when we used to have it up here, they would work together and they would accept our insurances. They don't do that. So an office downtown will, will send you to whomever's going to give them the, the uh, you know, kind of not a kickback. Eh, I'll say it. it's a kickback from one office to another for sending them to the, these folks. And it costs you a lot more money. And they want the money up front before they'll even look at you. It's just sad to me. So I hope your program gets off quickly. Well, one of the things that um, I was uh, talking to Mr. Yuhas uh, with UC Health the other day, um, they have a um, kind of an urgent care. I'm trying to remember what they call it now, um, but it's a t- it's based on telehealth. And uh, even I was asking him if there was an opportunity that we could partner with UC Health and their telehealth program that could kind of be a bridge until we get this urgent care. A problem figured out. I think that they, they do have some physicians still up at the hospital with new practices that can still see quickly uh, patients in their offices uh, every day. I don't know how long that will, as, as our community continues to grow, as their practices continue to bring on more and more patients, uh, how long that can go. But that, that'll be a challenge, I think, that uh, now that we have a stable long-term partner up here that... Um, We'll, we will over time be able to address, but I think that even having the telehealth program that, especially with the community paramedics, that we can link some of these patients to the physicians um, can be that, that gap, that bridge. But yep. your situation to where you had the knee injury, your son had a knee injury, um, yeah, right now our option is an emergency room or you could take them to the closest, and I think the closest urgent care is a Invita at 21st and Cimarron, and that's an Invita urgent care center. You know, the other ones are a lot farther away. So, yeah, that's a, that's a challenge, but we're looking forward to partnering with UC Health and even Centura, potentially, um, to see if we can find some alternatives, some solutions to that. I think that's great. And, you know, I'm, I'm glad that you mentioned UC Health because I know that they have really been instrumental in jumping on board and wanting to get involved. We have a couple of tabletop exercises coming up. Um, they're coming to the local emergency planning committee meetings um, and they're meeting pieces. They're putting a face to, you know, the different people and agencies that they have to work with. And I think it's great. They're really trying to be more out there and, and let people know who they are. So that's great. I agree. Yeah, it's, it's been a, a good partnership. It absolutely has. Definitely. Good for our community. Tim, who can uh, folks call to, uh, check, to check in and see about using your facilities? Best person to contact would be Erin. And, of course, I don't have her cell phone off the top of my or her office number um, off the top of my head. But Erin um, would be the person that, to contact. Um, she runs the schedule for the facility. We're starting to do some more EMT classes, some advanced EMT classes, CPR classes. Uh, one of the things that we're hoping to get, we're researching right now, is uh, Pet for State. 
offer pet first aid up here. I think that would be a phenomenal uh, program. You know, we're all dog and cat lovers, and we love to take our dogs, especially our dogs, with us wherever we go. And uh, what do we do when something bad happens to them? That could be a whole other podcast. That's that's yep. that's cool. Um, so yeah, we'd love to connect with some of the vets up here and uh, um, see how we could put together everything from your dog just got tangled up with a skunk. How's the best way of de-skunking them? Um, a porcupine um, to pet CPR. Yeah, we're. We're kind of excited about that. Chief, I did want to ask you, you mentioned um, Isla Brown, and I know you guys are having a big benefit uh, chili event coming up, and that's just in a couple weeks, correct? Yes. Um, February, I think it's February 15th, we're doing a chili cook-off. What is that, like noon to four? Yep. It's a uh, benefit for Isla uh, to help her with her medical expenses uh, for her cancer treatment. Isla is, uh, she's amazing. She's been a medic up here now for 10 years, uh, serving our community longer. So it's going to be a great, great support for her. So we encourage everybody to to stop by, make donations, enter in a chili or a cornbread. And and you're actually having that at your new facility so yes, people can check are. it out and check yep. out the uh, training room. And yep. Great. That's awesome. Good. So and Aaron Quigley. Uh, administrative assistant is the one to uh, contact, and her number is uh, 686-6974. Thanks, Eric. You're welcome. <laughs> See, that's how we save each other. <laughs> As we all know, the population of Teller County explodes in the spring and summer, whether that's people passing through or this, uh, there's a destination here. We'll start with Eric. How do you not need an ambulance in the spring and summer in Teller County in the southern part of the county? Yeah, our district is 324 square miles, um, and we we cover down um, Shelf Road to Fremont County, um, Gold Camp Road down to El Paso County. Um, We cover up to the um, up Teller One to the southern part of Colorado Mountain Estates, and then we cover almost to Mueller State Park on 67, just before the entrance to Mueller State Park. So if you're a visitor to the area. Um, which you know is what we see in the, in the springtime, summertime. You want to hydrate before you come up to elevation. So a few days before you even make the trip, start drinking extra water. Um, make sure you eat well, a good diet, and make sure you don't consume too many alcoholic beverages. If you're going to drink, do it in moderation. So the alcohol affects people a little differently at, at higher altitudes, I'm assuming? It does. It definitely um, makes people... A, a, cheap date, I guess, when it comes to booze, because people get drunk pretty quickly. Someone who might be able to handle drinking, a, you know, six beers at sea level, they come up to elevation and six beers will, you know, put them under the table. So it definitely hits you a lot quicker and a lot harder. Or they get a very expensive room in my place. Yes, they do. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's kind of funny. I have to pick on Eric a little bit here. When we were working together, um, together up in Cripple Creek, we had a syndrome that we called the casino syncope. We um, get people that tend to pass out, get dizzy, um, get sweaty, get all, you know, get start feeling real hot. And they think the first thing they have to do is get some fresh air, which is the worst thing in the world to do because their blood pressure is probably already super low. 
And as they're walking to the door, boy, they pass oh. out, hit the ground. And then by the time we see them, they're laying on the ground, you know, get all the extra blood flow to the brain, and things are kind of better by the time <laughs> we get there. So a lot of times we don't really find anything wrong other than we might find out that they're dehydrated. But yeah, that used to for sure be our number one call. And um, it, it's really not anymore. Um, I think probably um, just because a lot more people are wearing oxygen now is what I'm guessing. Um, we don't get near the amount of people passing out that, that, that we used to. I mean, that, that was a daily call maybe s- several times a day before. Wow. And it's, it's not really like that now. It's, it's kind of changed. It's good to hear. <laughs> and that's some of the education with the casinos, too, and keeping people hydrated. And, right. Yep. Not overserving. Well, I think your age group in the casinos is changing a little bit, too. It yeah. seems to be more of a, I wouldn't say young, it is younger. It seems to be more of a younger type of crowd. True. Um, we deal with more, I think. Right. I, I do agree that it, there, you're starting to see some younger people there before, you know, compared to before. So I know you got a lot of curvy roads down there. The whole county's got curvy roads. I don't think there's one straight road in this county, maybe Gillette Flats area for a little bit. I don't know. But if you're like me and you come from Oklahoma or come from Texas and all the roads are nice grid patterns and there's no curves, any advice for travelers going down 67 on motorcycles? They come from other areas. Definitely um, the posted speed limit is there for a reason. And do the speed limit. If you do the speed limit, you're probably pretty doing pretty good. Unless the, the road conditions are icy, and then you need to go slower than the speed limit. But, yeah, the, if you're coming up here and, and exceeding the speed limit, um, you might have some issues. Tim, what, what kind of stuff do you see in, in the northern part of the county? Um, so I think uh, our district is about 520 square miles. Um, we're in portions of El Paso, so we go down to Green Mountain Falls, Chapita Park. We go up into Douglas County. Uh, the West Creek area, and uh, we go all the way into Park County, uh, essentially to the summit of Wilkerson Pass, and then obviously all of northern Teller County. Uh, we cover that. Come summertime, um, right up there by Mountain Communities Fire Protection District, there's this uh, series of S-curves that we'll probably see four, five motorcycle accidents on that curve. This series of curves, um, gravel gets on the road, they're going a little too fast, hit it, go down. Um, so being aware of the terrain, of course, that's kind of hard to um, tell folks from out of town. Be careful, but uh, they do have, it, those curves are very well posted. Um, so we do see a lot of motor vehicle accidents up there. Um, we get a lot of backcountry calls during the summer, especially the ATV and the uh, motorcycle riders um, colliding, falling, crashing in general. Uh, we get a few uh, climbing accidents like up at uh, Turkey Rock in an 11-mile canyon. We see that a lot. Um, injured hikers out on the trail uh, with all the backcountry stuff north of Divide and around Lake George. Um, you'd think we'd see more trauma with the highways and even with the casino traffic and uh, the alcohol, especially up in up in uh, the casinos, but uh, most of our stuff is medical, actually. And I think a lot of it goes to our aging population up here. Um, and what we hope is that um, we can help mitigate some of those medical calls with the community paramedic program in the future. So what I'm hearing from both of you basically to sum up is 
wear protective gear, obey the rules, stay hydrated. Yep. Good advice. I think it's the same thing we tell people. <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> and just be aware. I mean, you know, uh, the, being able to go out into the forest on your ATVs and have fun. I mean, that's we do want that. We want people to have fun. Um, but um, I guess be responsible. Even when you think of, God, up on the Rampart Range Road, even when you think of fires, fire safety, put your campfires out. Don't have a campfire if there's a burn ban. Yes. Right. Yeah, we've all seen a little bit of that in the last few years, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Thank Eric for his support. Um, Even before we got our tax increase, you will see Southwest Teller County Hospital District ambulances in our area, and you'll see our ambulances in his area. Absolutely. Um, uh, Just because of the great relationship and the support, and we have to help each other. The interesting thing that we're seeing is mutual aid coming out of Colorado Springs for us. They're even having a hard time covering their own stuff down in the springs. So we used to be able to depend on um, AMR. They've been a great mutual aid partner for us, but they're getting busier. Their resources are being strained as well. So it's becoming uh, more and more important for us to continue a good, strong relationship with each other to back each other up. Well, thank you both for joining us today. I've learned a lot. It's good talking to you. Thanks for stopping by. Thank you. A big thanks to Tim and Eric for joining us this week. Next week, we're going to be talking to Sergeant Randy Ford about volunteer opportunities at the Sheriff's Office, and our own producer Tommy will mic himself up, and you will hear his golden voice as well. So be sure to tune in next week.